Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Most Accurate Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Smith. I went a little heavier than normal with the music on today's show. It's a song called Lost in the Headlights from the band Pelican, off their 2007 record City of Echoes. To hear the song in full, as well as all the other music from my episodes, check out the TMAP B-Sides playlist on Spotify, which is linked in the show notes. On today's program, I will be joined by Mike Wollert. He's one of the IDP gurus at 4for4.com, and we're primarily going to talk about defense on this episode. With that said, the plan is to do so in a way that should hopefully be relevant to all fantasy players out there. And at the very least, most of you, I think, play in leagues that use team defenses and special teams. So on that front, we're going to kick off the show looking at some important defensive player movement from the NFL's free agency period and discuss which defensive units can be considered winners and losers. Later, we're going to dig into leagues with individual defensive players, or IDPs. Mike is a veteran of this specialized format, so I'm going to lean heavily on his expertise to give you, the listeners, a primer on his favorite way to play. After he makes his case for why everyone should at least try out the IDP way of fantasy life, we'll get into some strategy for redraft IDP as well as dynasty IDP. So without further ado, please welcome Mike Wollert to the show. Give him a follow on Twitter at Mike underscore Wollert and check out all his work over at 444.com. Mike, I'm excited to get you on today so you can school me up on all things defense. Thanks for joining me. How's everything going in your corner of the world? Oh, you know, it's it's exciting, isn't it? You know, all all quarantined up and and no place to go. So, everything's <laughs> everything's good and everybody's healthy, so you can't complain about that, but I'm I'm glad to be a part of this and I'm always happy to talk some football and especially IDP and and let's get some get some good stuff going here. Well, yeah, let's start off with some of those winners and losers and free agency on the team defense side of things. Let's let's look at this from the big picture, because sure. I think the way that most people play is by using team defense and special teams. And I'm curious, when I talk about winners and losers from free agency, which teams stand out to you in that regard? I really like what Philadelphia did. They really shored up their defense up front. Um, they added Javon Hargrave to go alongside Fletcher Cox, so that's going to make things really difficult up front um they're going to get pressure they're going to allow the guys on the outside like brandon graham to get pressure plus once you get pressure that'll also uh result in possibly some errant throws and with them fortifying their secondary they added darius slay by a trade so who's been a really good corner over the last couple of seasons so i really like philadelphia's defense this season uh what they did i think that's really gonna really help them uh, not only from a real football standpoint but obviously uh from fantasy defense you know they're gonna get sacks and and i think those sacks can definitely turn into uh into turnovers so i definitely like what they did there where do you fall on the i guess the the argument of pass rush versus pass uh defense or or, or coverage i should say uh do, do you believe that one is necessarily more important than the other. I think this is kind of a, a chicken and the egg argument sometimes, but where do you fall on that spectrum? I think pressure creates turnovers. So I think uh, that's that's kind of my philosophy, that if you can get to the quarterback, make the quarterback uncomfortable, that's going to cause him to either throw quicker um, to where the route isn't going to be run, or that's going to lead to tipped passes to where linebackers can make play. So I'm of the mindset that pressure creates turnovers. Okay, very good. Uh, who's another winner for you out of free agency? Um, I like what the Ravens did. Um, they franchised Matthew Judon, who was one of their uh, best pass rusher last year, generated a 14% pressure rate. So he really stepped up in the absence um, of Zadarius Smith. And I really like that they basically got Calais Campbell for nothing. So that really uh, solidifies them up front along, alongside Brandon Williams. So I, 
I, I can't believe they stole him for what essentially was a fifth round pick. I know the uh, the deal for Michael Brockers didn't go through, but I think even with uh, Campbell and Judon, that's going to help. Uh, they also extended Chuck Clark, who is actually their defensive play caller. They're going to have a full season of Marcus Peters, and they've just done a really good job on defense. And usually the Ravens, no matter who they have on defense, they always seem to be a, a top five or a top ten defense uh, fantasy-wise. So um, just the, the addition of Clayce Campbell is definitely going to help. Yeah, and that was going to be my question for you with the Ravens is there isn't a whole lot further for them to rise. They were already a top-tier team. They had 150 fantasy points, about Mm 9.4 points per game, good enough for fourth overall among team defenses. And generally, I think most people are streaming defenses these days, but how much higher do you think Baltimore can climb in the overall landscape here? Do you think they could be the top defense overall? Do you think they can push for top two? What's the ceiling here, do you think? I think their ceiling is is definitely a top defense, but yeah, with they're definitely a defense that you can you can draft and then stream a secondary defense if you want to go that route. Um, but yeah, streaming defenses is usually how I I take it. But yeah, if you were going to draft a defense, if you're required to like draft and keep a defense, Baltimore is certainly going to be on the radar uh, for sure. Yeah, and there are some formats that will maybe not necessarily require you to keep the same defense all year, but incentivize you to do so. Uh, I mean, best ball does that. I mean, you can't make pickups after you draft these teams. And uh, other formats will have penalties for making transactions. So every time you try to stream a defense, you might be giving something up in terms of uh, you know, your buy-in or, or some other penalties. So it does make mm-hmm. sense in some formats to, to pay up for a good defense. And Baltimore definitely looks like they're going to be one of those. Uh, let's talk about the Los Angeles Chargers next. And they seem to have all the pieces for a quality defense last year, but it didn't really result in a good fantasy finish. They were 26th overall among team defense and special teams with about 80 points. What do you like about their offseason? Well, one, they're going to get back. Um, they're going to have a, they're going to get back Derwin James. So that's really going to help things, uh, right off the bat. I like the addition of Chris Harris. He's a really solid outside cover corner. And with Casey Hayward on the other side, that's going to prevent defenses from picking on one side of the field over another. So they're really going to have to really, you know, make really good choices with the ball. And Chris Harris is a pretty good ball hawk. Plus they added Linval Joseph, who is really good up front. And that that just goes along to where they can tie up the pressure up front, allow Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram to get sacked. So between Chris Harris and and Casey Hayward, I think with their coverage, I know I said, you know, pressure gets turnovers, but also by the same token, if you have good coverage, that's going to lead to sack. So, again, we go back to the chicken and the egg. I think in this case, uh, the addition of Chris Harris is definitely going uh, to help Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram. How much do you think about team philosophy or coaching philosophy with these defenses when you're trying to consider how they'll perform in fantasy because I look at the Chargers losing Phillip Rivers and looking at Tyrod Taylor as their Mm -hmm. new starting quarterback and there's still time for that to change they could draft somebody they could sign one of the available guys or trade for one of the available guys like Andy Dalton sure but that downgrade in theory from Phillip Rivers to Tyrod Taylor makes me think that they might be a little bit more conservative and lean on that defense that's not always necessarily good for fantasy because if you're playing a more conservative style, you might adopt more of a bend-don't-break mentality rather than a mentality that's dedicated to getting pressure and dedicated to generating turnovers. Do you have any concerns with the Chargers or maybe any other teams along those lines? Uh, you know what? Not necessarily. I think for the most part, if they've got play, you know, a lot of defenses have playmakers, and these playmakers are going to make plays on the ball, whether or not the the offense is a uh, you know a high potent offense like the Chiefs 
or their you know more conservative offense, which could be the Chargers or you know someone like you know even the Ravens are still a little bit more run heavy. So I think with those you know playmakers are going to make plays, and uh, you know they might get a few more snaps if you know the 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 offense is doing more three and out, so they might get a few more opportunities, but. I don't necessarily look into that. I, I always like to look in, all right, is this defense going to get pressure? Are they going to get sacks? Those pressure, if that's going to get in, lead to turnover. So, you know, I always like to look at, obviously like to look at matchups. If they're facing a quarterback that's going to throw the ball, obviously that's going to lead to, you know, you got upside for turnover. So that's kind of how I like to look at things. I like to look at teams that, you know, are plus in the, the turnover ratio and get a lot of pressure. So that's really what I look at on my defense. Yeah, and, and taking a look at that stuff with, you know, the playmakers in mind up front does make sense. You know, you're looking for talent on that side of the mm-hmm. ball. Talent leads to plays. I, I like that. Yep. Uh, who else do you consider a winner at the team level uh, in terms of defense? I think the the Bucks with, they, with being able to retain both Jason Pierre-Paul and Shaq Barrett, it retains that defensive unit that finished seventh in total sacks. They did lose Gerald McCoy, but he wasn't a, a, a consistent source of sacks. But being able to keep both Jason Pierre-Paul and Shaq Barrett, I think that's huge. I think they get, you know, with the emergence of Devin White, uh, his second year um, with a veteran like Levante David, I think those are two guys that can make plays on the ball as well. Um, the secondary is a little weak, but I think, again, with the guys that they that they retained up front, they'll be able to get pressure and hopefully uh, they'll be able to generate a few turnovers. But the sacks were, were huge. For, for Tampa last year. Yeah, and that was reflected in their finish. They were ninth among all defenses with about 137 fantasy points. That's 8.6 points per game, but it was a bit of a roller coaster ride with them, and I do feel like they were yep. a little lucky in terms of some stat categories. Like they had six defensive touchdowns when most teams had between, yeah. say, one and four. They had 16 fumble recoveries, where, you know, five to 10 is a little bit more typical yep. on a seasonal basis. So I think yep. that. Even if we like Tampa Bay retaining JPP and Shaq Barrett, there is some concern that there's some regression due for this squad. And they might not be a top 10 team, but they could still be maybe top 12. And generally a team that you'll be willing to stream, again, based upon those matchups. So I I think the Bucs are a good one to keep an eye on, especially in best ball, if they can continue to pressure opposing teams with their offense, you know, with those weapons they have and now adding Tom Brady. It'll be fascinating to see kind of where they land in terms of that, you know, philosophy on the other side of the ball on offense and how that translates to, you know, what their defense is able to do. Because a lot of the those sack numbers you were talking about were purely because their defense was on the field so much, right? They were playing at a high tempo when they yeah. had the ball. James Winston was turning the ball over like crazy. That gave the opposing yeah. team a lot of opportunities on offense, which also gives the Tampa Bay defense a lot of opportunities for sacks. So if they scale that back, if they get a little bit more conservative, something could change here, regress some of the defensive touchdown and the fumble recovery numbers. I don't know. It'll be, it's a fascinating case and I'm curious to see where, where we end up there. Um, Any more winners or do you want to get to losers on defense? Oh, we get to the losers, but yeah, just to echo with, especially the division they play in, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's definitely an up-tempo offense, especially with uh, the saints, the Falcons, um, and even the Panthers, they could be throwing a lot. So definitely, you know, they definitely have a, a shot, definitely with the way that the South plays. Yeah, that makes sense. So who's your first loser at the team level coming out of free agency? I didn't really like what Detroit did. I mean, they traded away Darius Slay, you know, for what I think is next to nothing. Um, they replaced him with Desmond Trufant, who really has been a shell of his former self. Injuries have kind of taken away his 
sapped some of that playmaking ability. I mean, they added Jamie Collins, who is kind of meh. You know, he has that reputation for taking plays off. Is Matt Patricia going to resurrect his play? I don't know. They don't really have many playmakers in the linebacking core. Um, I think Damon Harrison isn't coming back. So I just don't really like, uh, from a fantasy standpoint, really what, what Detroit did. And, um, it, I, there, I don't, don't really see them maybe as, as, as really much more, not even as, as a streamer, probably somewhat a team that I'll probably avoid. Yeah, I mean, they don't really have anywhere else to go but up. And if they're not making improvements on that side of the ball, that's a problem. They were the 28th ranked defense in 2019 with only about five Mm -hmm. fantasy points per game. And this is one instance where I think you can infer things about the offense based upon the defense, right? Like Matthew Stafford's probably still going to have to throw the ball a fair amount. And that means if you're looking at Kenny Galladay, if you're looking at Marvin Jones, TJ Hawkinson, these pass catching weapons on the lions, I think they're Mm -hmm. still going to retain value assuming that Matthew Stafford can get back to full health. But uh, what am I doing? I'm talking about offense. This is a defensive show, Mike, let's talk about your next loser. Who is it? (laughs) I know the Bengals added some pieces uh, since I wrote this, but even still, they failed to land one of the big-name linebackers, which I think was one of their priorities in this offseason. So they really, you know, with that, they didn't really add any one of those linebackers. They added Josh Bynes, who's okay. You know, he's a pretty decent run stopper, but doesn't really do much to generate pressure. They added Trey Waynes, but he's more of a liability in coverage. Um, I think he gave up five touchdowns in a near, in about a 110 quarterback rating when he was thrown at. So not really much of a, of a shutdown corner. So that's a, that's kind of a problem. They've got some solid pass rushers up front with, uh, with Carl Lawson when he's on the field, Carlos Dunlop and, and Sam Hubbard. Um, Geno Atkins is getting up there in age, but not really much excitement from a fantasy standpoint in terms of what they did. You're playing in a division now with the Browns. You know, their offensive certainly has improved and it should. Um, you've got Lamar Jackson on, on Baltimore. You know, they're going to be those guys. I think they're just going to be tough to stop. And they didn't really do much to really address that. Some of those uh, weaknesses. Yeah. And as bad as Detroit was last year, Cincinnati was even worse. They were the third worst team in terms of uh, defensive fantasy points, only 67, 4.2 per game. Really the the lowest of the low in terms of tiers at that position. What do you think about these bad teams' odds of improving their defense through the draft? Because chances are they're going QB with that first overall pick. Mm -hmm. With their later picks, do you see them maybe rounding out that defense a little bit because I'm not too worried about the weapons they have on offense. I I know their O-line could use some help. I mean, every team's O-line could use some help, but it seems to me like Cincinnati would be a good candidate to go out and make their defense a priority in the draft after they take their QB first overall. Do you see that being the case with them or, or do you think that it wouldn't necessarily pay dividends until a later season, maybe two or three years down the road? Yeah, I think if they did address the defense as, as much as, you know, you draft, may draft a playmaker on defense, there's still the, the learning curve. Um, there's still some adjustments to be made. So even still, I don't expect a whole lot out of that first year. Now, obviously, if you nail your entire defensive draft, certainly things can change. And I certainly am from the Bengals. I'm taking the quarterback number one. I'm not even thinking. Yeah. I'm not even thinking twice as much as I'm an IDB guy. You got to take the quarterback. That's the most important position. But even if they address it with, you know, bringing in a linebacker and a safety or maybe an edge rusher, um, which I don't really think they need, but if they did bring in a a safety or or another corner, I don't think it's going to pay dividends this year. I think it's one of those things that you'd have to wait a year or two to see. 
Well, and there's a new coaching staff there too, and there's generally a learning curve with with those folks as well. Uh, not only in just in terms of them getting adapted to the situation, but them learning the players, you know, self scouting all that stuff. So I, I think that the Bengals, yeah, are more of a candidate to rebound in a couple of years rather than just right away this year. But we'll see. Um, you said you're an IDP guy. Let's get into the IDP discussion right now, and I want to start off with a primer on the format in general because. Not everybody has played this way. Not everybody even wants to play this way. But at a base level, talk about what IDP is to you and why you think fantasy football fans should consider trying the format if they've never done so. Sure. IDP um, is individual defensive players. So that means you're playing the individual defensive player instead of the whole entire defense. So you're, dra- you're playing the, the linebacker. Or, you're, you know, you're playing Bobby Wagner instead of the entire Seattle defense. For me, why? You know, you get more knowledge of the game since you're paying to both, you're paying attention to both sides of the ball. The one of the, always one of the arguments is, oh my God, I, you know, it's so complex and I have to pay attention to so much. You know, not necessarily, you know, set it up the way, you know, you want to play it. You know, you don't need to have defensive tackles, defensive ends, linebackers and safeties and cornerbacks. Start off slow or start off playing a defensive lineman, a linebacker, and a defensive back. Make it as, as simple as you want so that you don't necessarily need to know the fourth-string cornerback uh, in a deep IDP league. You don't need to know the third or fourth-string cornerback of a team. So, um, but yeah, you, you know, like I said, you get you paying attention to both sides of the ball. And I think it eliminates some of that luck factor that sometimes can happen in, in, a, uh, in a team defense. You know, when that team defense just – they get those six – three or four uh, pick sixes or something like that. At least it's you're getting points from the player. The player's doing it, not necessarily the defense. So like New England's defense generated so many points from so many of the big plays. So that's why you should play. I think, you know, it, it being seen a little bit smarter and you get to pay attention to both sides of the ball. Yeah, so that was one of my major follow-up questions here is how many starting spots we should dedicate to each IDB position because I've seen rosters as simple as just having one single defensive player spot. And I I don't know, that just seems pointless to me because there are typically enough linebackers that have high tackle rates to serve everybody in a league. And so you're not really adding any layer of complexity. It's kind of just throwing in a a kicker spot, essentially, when you do it like that. More typically, what I see is something like one defensive lineman, one linebacker, one defensive back, and maybe one Mm -hmm. generic defensive player. So four IDP players per team. Like a flex, yep. Yeah, but even that doesn't seem like enough starting spots to justify investing real draft capital in defensive players because if you look at all 32 teams, you have so many players to pull from. I feel like we need more of these spots to really be able to differentiate. And I understand we don't want to add too much complexity to a game that's already super complex, but how do you think roster settings should look to make these IDP picks really matter in a draft? Is it two of each position? Is it more than that? And I guess try to find that balance between, you know, a casual player's interest and somebody who wants a little bit extra depth or strategy in their league. I mean, if you don't want to do anything too super simple like the one defensive player couple positions i think a good setup is starting is going with two defensive linemen two to three linebackers two defensive backs and then maybe a flex so i think that will give you enough of uh to to, you know outline a a good defensive strategy gives enough to where the the pool will will thin out a little bit so that you know hey i'm gonna pick up 
Bobby Wagner from the waiver wire this week. I'm like, no, you know, that's that's no fun. That's like being able to pick up Ezekiel Elliott off the waiver wire. So right. having at least two at each position allows enough of a uh, to to think out a strategy. It thins out the waiver wire a little bit so that you don't have to worry about studs being on the waiver wire. And, and it also gives, gives you a little bit of a, a strategy as far as, you know, who you're going to start every week. So have and be able to have a little bit of bench depth as well. Yeah, I like that. Now, I think I know the answer to this, but are you for or against using both team defense and special teams and IDP in the same league? I've done it before. Um, I prefer one or the other. Either play team defense or play IDP. Okay, Uh, let's move on. Let's talk about scoring settings next because we've talked about how the roster should look when we're using IDPs, but there are a lot of different ways to account for these defensive stats that players are putting up. So what does the most traditional IDP scoring setup look like in your opinion? Well, there's not that, there's not a standard, like, you know, however, you know, there's, you know, I'm playing in a standard offensive league, which is, you know, typically half PPR or anything like that. So there still is yet to be really a a standard or traditional scoring setup. Um, I typically like to suggest or play maybe a tackle heavy, but also adjust for big plays. So, for example, playing one and a half to two points per solo tackle and one point per assist you might be able to get it down to maybe half a point for an assist just because if you play a team that like Buffalo, for example, that basically hands out tackles like Halloween candy, <laughs> um, you know, you can rack up 10 or 11 assists. So anywhere between one and a half points to two points for a solo tackle, maybe a half a point to one point for an assist, give at least four points per sack and interception. So to kind of balance out a little bit of that, little bit of that scoring for tackles, um, at least four points a sack and four points per interception uh, for cornerbacks and defensive backs, maybe uh, anywhere between a point and a half to two points per for a defended pass. And then, you know, maybe for fumble recoveries, anywhere between two to four points. So you can kind of balance that out. But um, I definitely like a more, I definitely like the a ta- more tackle heavy approach with some of those big plays being adjusted to, uh, to try to kind of level that playing field. You can call it a balance format, but if you're playing for me, if it's, a, if you're paying that two points per solo for me, that's a little bit more of a tackle heavy format. Yeah, I like that because I'll be honest, when I've played these leagues before, IDP scoring tends to be pretty flat across each position. And because Mm -hmm. defensive players typically don't score on the same level as offensive players when you're only using maybe one point per tackle, the format has never really felt very compelling to me as a fantasy player. So I'm glad that you had these like suggestions to bump up the value of these defensive plays because then you can start to consider these IDP guys against the offensive players being drafted in the middle rounds of a fantasy league. And I think that's, that's important here to, to add yeah. that at least tension in the draft between, well, should I draft a defensive player yet or not? So um, that, that's mm-hmm. good. Now, when it comes to the draft... How do the different defensive positions, mm-hmm. you know, defensive lineman, linebacker, defensive back, how do those vary mm-hmm. in terms of depth and maybe in terms of value for fantasy? Well, for me, I look at linebackers, they're the running backs. They're the guys that are on the field the most. And they, for the most part, rack up the most points because they're the ones getting all the tackles. So yep. um, that's that's how I look at it. So the linebackers are most mostly like the the, the running backs. 
but you also have to take a look. You have to pay a little bit more attention in terms of the, the linebackers. You got to pay a little bit more attention to snap counts and where they align on a defense. So you have typically you might have one to two linebackers that are on the field for all three downs, and you usually have one that'll come off. So definitely want to keep it paying attention. Want definitely want to pay attention to the snap counts for linebackers. Um, they rack up the most points. Linebackers is also the deepest position. There are several. There's at least in any given year 20 to 25 linebackers that are probably going to get 100 tackles for for the season. So it's a really deep position. So depending on your scoring system, you might want to go defensive line first and then maybe get some of those linebackers. But I typically like to load up on the linebackers uh, and get as many as I possibly can. I've changed philosophies in in over the years. I've always been get all the linebackers, stream defensive line, stream defensive back. But I've kind of shifted in that philosophy a little bit um, just because the, with defensive linemen, the pool of, of elite double-digit sack producers is a little bit more shallow. So I like to look at getting at least a guy that's going to get anywhere between, you know, that's going to get me double-digit sacks, whether it's going to be 10 or 15. I want to get that high upside elite double-digit sack guy and then get a couple of linebackers. So... That's kind of the way I attack that. Defensive back is a position I'll just stream and backfill as I go. You know, as much as I love a guy like Jamal Adams or Derwin James, they're going to go much earlier than where I want to take them. I typically am going to look to DB as my last position um, to draft in, in an IDP. So I'll target guys coming off of injury. For example, Keanu Neal, again, who's coming off of an injury, so I'll target guys like that. Um, second or third year potential breakouts that are finding themselves in a starting position position um, and then obviously guys that now find themselves with new opportunities uh, whether it's a new team or maybe they're with their old team and are now bumped up to to a starting gig yeah you're backing up a lot of the experience I've had when I played IDP is that it's a lot harder to find a difference maker at defensive lineman than it is at linebacker like you said the, mm-hmm. the supply of usable linebackers is really high and that's because there are typically two linebackers on every team that just aren't going to come off the field most of the time and they're going to rack up enough tackles and especially if you can start to play matchups week to week uh, stream the position a little bit you can really find value at linebacker pretty easily defensive lineman is the opposite in my experience where you know the the best guys get the most defensive attention and that makes them kind of fluky and then of course Every once in a while, they'll have that big game-breaking play, you know, or that game-breaking yep. game uh, where you know they're putting up, you know, twelve to fifteen points in a single sitting. Uh, defensive back, I, I agree as well. It's just a little bit flukier because they're not always going to get thrown at. A lot of the higher-profile players literally don't get thrown at. So even if a guy is good yep. in real football, that doesn't necessarily mean they're the player you want in fantasy at that position. And one other little kind of offshoot strategy nugget I'll throw in with defensive backs: if you play in a league with return yardage as a stat there are a handful of defensive backs that do act as the returners for their teams either on kickoffs or on punts and that's a sneaky source of reliable fantasy points at a position that can be very fluky week to week otherwise so if you play in a return yardage league look to sop up one of those guys with your defensive back spot that is a case where i am willing to pay up for a db if they're the the punt or kick returner in that sort of scoring format but that's a very narrow corner case um in the draft where are idp players typically drafted in relation to their offensive skill position counterparts it really again depends on your scoring system however i like to build out an offense so i'll typically round out my offense 
Um, I might even get some some bench guys before targeting my first IDP. So for me, I'll typically target my first defensive player around the eighth or to the ninth round. I don't usually get worried about the you know the runs on the position. So if maybe the linebacker I w- I'm targeting goes, I don't. I don't get worried because one, I know I can always get a couple of linebackers. The same thing with defensive backs. So like if someone were to take Jamal Adams, I'm, it's not going to, you know, I'll gladly, t- you know, I'll, I'll gladly allow someone to take uh, Jamal Adams uh, maybe in the sixth round when I can get another high upside running back or another high upside receiver who's typically going to perform a little bit better on a given week. So I, I'll, I'll take that any day of the week. Um, there was an article or I, you know, I posted last season. It was an IDP mixed uh, kind of a strategy where it kind of went position by position that should still be available uh, on the site. This is something I did last season. So you can always take a look at how I how I kind of uh, attack things from an IDP standpoint. But, yeah, usually I'll start targeting my IDP in the eighth for that first IDP in the eighth or ninth round. I usually get a linebacker and, and, and followed up with a defensive lineman. If two linebackers that I really like are available, I might go linebacker, linebacker. But again, kind of depends on your scoring system and kind of who you value. But like I said, eighth or ninth round, you're, you typically have a solid offensive lineup already built so you can afford to go with your, with your first defensive player. Yeah, that article that Mike is talking about was called Anatomy of a Perfect IDP Fantasy Football Draft. I will link to it in the show notes. And in the article, you talk about starting to consider your IDP picks in round six, seven, and eight. But you'll typically Mm -hmm. try to wait as long as you can, right? Maybe even another round or two before you take your first defensive player. And it's going to depend on how the draft is breaking, what other people are doing relative to the offensive players. Mm -hmm. And after reading that article, I, I went back and kind of revisited it. How likely are you to draft and carry backup IDP players on your bench during the season? Because this is something else that I thought about is, you know, streaming, we've talked about a fair amount, is something that can be done. But if you have to start more of these guys week to week, say two to three linebackers, are you going to be carrying four linebackers on your roster? Is that something you're comfortable with? Is that something you feel like you need to do? Yeah, I usually will carry anywhere between anywhere. If if my... If I am allowed to carry five linebackers, I'm going to carry five. If I'm allowed to carry six, I'll carry six. So much like any position, I like having depth. And if, you know, injuries can happen. So look at Deion Jones. He got hurt. So I I like to have uh, depth at the position. So I'll usually, if I, I will carry the max amount of linebackers that I can or, you know, at that, as many as I'm allowed. Now, I don't handcuff positions. So if I draft, say I draft Blake Martinez, I'm not going to necessarily draft in the later rounds as backup. So I don't do that. Don't, don't handcuff your IDPs. It's definitely much different um, than handcuffing an, a, a running back. So, cause if, if, you know, typically if, if someone like a Blake Martinez or a Joe Schobert or someone gets hurt, their backup might come in, he might play every down, but at the same time he may not. So, I don't necessarily uh, get on board with handcuffing any of the positions as far as an IDP goes. There's plenty of depth to where if someone gets hurt, you can go to your waiver wire and, you know, take a look at snaps and pick somebody up and and fill that way. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I I do want to reiterate the idea that if you play in a shallow IDP format where you only have to start, say, one to four, one to five total defensive players, I don't know how many backups you really need to carry unless you have just two really high quality players. You can kind of let the waiver wire be your bench 
the shallower you yeah. are uh, in terms of IDP players that you need to start each week. But that's a good primer for kind of the format as a whole, Mike. Is there anything else you want to add on that front before we talk some specifics for the 2020 season? I guess like to see some of the sites kind of improve, you know, in terms of scoring settings and positions, you know, like I'd like to see some sites maybe try to start tack or tracking maybe hits and hurries from from a defensive line standpoint, maybe position designations because you know, you have a guy like Von Miller who is a, a disruptor of the game. He can get zero sacks, maybe a handful of tackles. But if he gets, you know, five or six hits, that doesn't, you know, reflect. So I think I'd like to see these kind of sites, you know, maybe adjust for some of the uh, for some of those boomer bust players. Um, like I said, maybe some position designations because you've got edge rushers that are completely boomer bust, but they're at a lot. They're a lot. They're just. A linebacker and if you're playing a guy like that a linebacker you your floor is for for guys like that your floor is literally zero so i'd like to see some sort of designation like an edge rush or something like that to where you know you don't have to play him at a specific linebacker position so that you know if you do get a zero it doesn't hurt your week because on you know a give a week you get a zero that's definitely sucks <laughs> yeah it would be interesting to see them do something to adjust for how some of these defensive players who are very good don't actually get that involved in terms of the traditional fantasy stats in IDP. Like we talked about coverage corners and how the best ones rarely get thrown at. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's some way we could kind of account for that, whether it's how many routes they allow a certain amount of separation on or something like that. Just how, how yeah. often are they actually locking someone down? Yardage allowed. Yeah, things like that could be yeah. really interesting in terms of opening up how these IDP leagues work. That's that's a, a good, I guess, advisory to put out there to, to the IDP world. I like that, Mike. Um, but yeah, let's talk about 2020. Let's talk about some specific players. And we talked about the winners and losers at a team level earlier. Which IDP players do you consider winners from the NFL's free agency period? For me, the some of the big bigger names, Blake Martinez, I consider a winner. I know he's already an elite linebacker, but he went to a, a really good position, a really good spot in Green Bay to a really good spot in New York. So, meaning he really is not going to have any competition for tackles. Um, opposite him is either going to be Ryan Connolly. Or David Mayo, who may not even see the field all three down. So, you know, they, they could rotate. Um, they don't really have uh, a safety that is going to really play up in the box. I know they have Jabril Peppers. Um, they've got Antoine Bethay, but uh, Blake Martinez, in, in terms of at the second level at the linebacker position, he's really going to have no competition for tackles. They've, they're decent up front to where he's going to be clean. He can get to the plays. And yeah, I know the joke on him is, oh, he's only making, you know, he's making tackles five, six yards on the line of scrimmage. But, you know, when it comes to IDP, it doesn't matter where they make the tackle. If he makes 120 tackles, I don't care where he makes him, he makes the tackle. So Blake Martinez definitely um, is definitely a winner with the spot that he landed in. As much as I hated to see him go, Joe Schobert over in Jacksonville got is also in a nice spot. Um, Miles Jack is probably going to move to the strong side, meaning he's going to be the middle linebacker. He's probably going to call the plays just because he's a, he's very smart, knows defenses, knows the offense. So I think he's going to continue to to rack up the tackles in Jacksonville. Um, the offensive line or the defensive line got a little bit weaker with Calais Campbell. So like I said, he's he's probably going to have a little bit more opportunities to make the tackles. Miles Jack, in my opinion, is is a little bit overrated, very inefficient tackler. So uh, Joe Schobert is is definitely in a good spot in Jacksonville. Um, Christian Kirksey, he's replacing Blake Martinez in in Green Bay. His thing, he just needs to stay healthy. 
he reunites with Mike Pettin. So, and I really like the fact that I, I really like that reu uh, that reunion. Uh, he has some familiarity with the defense already. They typically are going to deploy one to two linebackers. So, with the money they pay, with the money that they, you know they didn't necessarily break the bank, but he's going to be, I think, a three down linebacker with uh, with the backers. So, what's nice is is that he does have those health concerns. So in a draft, you might be able to get him as, you know, at an LB2, LB3 price, you got LB1 upside. So uh, um, definitely like where Kirksey landed. Uh, Adrian Phillips, uh, safety. Typically don't like IDPs in New England because Bill just uses so many different types of players and they're, they're a good team defense. But from an IDP standpoint, they haven't really had any guys that I really like, but I do like Phillips there. I think he's going to be leaned on defensively. They let Kyle Van Noy and Jamie Collins walk in free agency, and he's one of those. Uh, and Phillips is one of those safety linebacker hybrids that can, can really play in the box. He can also cover, so he's a really good run stuffer. He can play in coverage. He was one of San Diego, or one of Los Angeles's better defenders last year when he was on the field. And again, he's kind of that guy that can play the majority of snaps in the box, which is very important. Um, again, I don't like to, to project how how you know Belichick uses his players, but I could think he's going to use them in a similar role. And lastly, Carl Joseph signed a, a one-year prove-it deal with with the Browns. Um, I think he's going to have the motivation to play for a longer-term deal, whether it's for Cleveland or another team. Foot injury kind of sidelined him, but up until then, he was playing really well. He can play in the box, can play in coverage. Uh, stepped in for Jonathan Abram uh, when he went down, but he's a big hitter, brings a good tough mentality to the defense, and they typically will run, uh, you know, more than th- three or four safeties in Cleveland's defense. So, and I think with Schobert, Kirksey gone. Um, the Browns are leaning on some younger players at linebackers, so I think I can see Joseph deployed more in the box so uh, to help out against the run and coverage on tight ends. So I definitely like where jo- Carl Joseph landed. So I definitely like those five as free agent winners. So, Mike, I noticed you only talked about linebackers and defensive backs there. No one really stands out to you at the defensive line position. Is there a reason for that? Is there something that you find harder about that position to project or maybe just coincidence? Didn't happen to see a particular landing spot that improved a defensive lineman's outlook. What's the story there? Well, one of the big names hasn't signed yet. So Jadavian Clowney is still out there. So not really outside of Clowney. Not really a defensive lineman that really stood out from an IDP standpoint that really caught my attention. Gerald McCoy, I know he's signed in Dallas, so that's going to help, you know, if you're in a league with a defense that requires a defensive tackle. Um, I do like the spot Gerald McCoy landed in, but other than that, not really anybody that, that stood out from a defensive line. Um, like I said, Clowney's still out there, so I'm not quite sure where he's going to end up. He could be a winner or loser, I don't know, but um, but it just kind of worked out that way. Now, when Clowney does sign, and I'm assuming he will at some point, do you think that's a bigger impact on him personally or on the other defensive linemen that he plays with? Because we've talked a lot about how some of these high-profile defensive players will attract a lot of defensive attention and actually open things up for other players on their defensive unit to rack up the fantasy points. Do you think that's something we would expect with Clowney, or do you think that you're looking for him to be a contributor in his own right? I think it... Other, it'll help the other defenders, I think, because with Clowney, he's going to get some attention because he's got the name value. But if you look, he's not a sack producer. He's he has never he has yet to produce a double digit sack season. So he's living off of his name, and yeah, he generates pressure. I think he had a about a fourteen percent pressure rate, but his win rate is very low, and he doesn't convert many of his pressures into sacks. So I think he's going to help 
the the defensive line where he lands just because people are going to the the offensive line is going to key on him but he's not somebody even if he signs that I'm going to spend a significant amount of draft capital on just because he had three sacks last season and I think his career high right now is about nine or nine and a half so at most I'm targeting him maybe as maybe my second or third defensive lineman. I'll let somebody else draft him as their top defensive lineman and not really lose any sleep over it. And those big sack seasons that he had were when he was playing across from J.J. Watt, right? J.J. Watt. Someone else taking away the defensive attention to free him up to get the sacks. So if he lands under another situation like that, yeah, maybe you could justify spending a significant Mm -hmm. part of your draft capital on Jadavian Clowney. But I don't know. We'll just have to wait and see. So we've talked about the winners uh, at IDP positions. How about some of the losers at a free agency? Whose outlook got worse after all these moves that NFL teams made? I think Robert Quinn, he goes from Dallas to where he was a a 4-3 defensive end, which is a good thing. He is going to move to Chicago where he's going to probably switch to the to a to a linebacker position, which is going to hurt his IDP value. Um, he's making that transition from defensive line to linebacker, which I mentioned earlier. Yeah, he's 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 going to help out Khalil Mack. He's probably going to get some sacks, but again, he's a linebacker, and at a boomer bust position like he's playing, you're relying on him solely for sacks, and he's not going to get many tackles. So I don't like the fact that he went to um, Chicago. Um, definitely a boom for their defense. It's a good signing for Chicago. Fantasy, not so much. Jordan Hicks, yeah, he stays in Arizona. He didn't sign anywhere. He's staying where he is. But the Cardinals brought in Devondra Campbell to play opposite Jordan Hicks. So Campbell is going to take up some of those tackle opportunities and the, that Jordan Hicks just totally dominated in 2019. So now he has some competition for tackles in 2020. So... If you're in a league where you know your teammates or your league mates look at scoring from last season, they're going to see Jordan Hicks as their number one guy, and they're going to take him. So if that's the case, don't worry. I'm going to let somebody overpay for his huge season. And then lastly, I like Nick uh, Kwiatkowski's landing spot until Corey Littleton was also brought in. So, you know, Kwiatkowski was brought in by the Raiders. But they also brought in Corey Littleton, so that kind of cannibalizes a little bit of his his IDP value. I think he goes from a linebacker from from, a, from what could be a, a potential top linebacker. Uh, I think maybe now more more so maybe a, a lower end linebacker too, or maybe a third linebacker. Corey Littleton has been a, a really uh, a borderline elite linebacker with tackles. So, and I also think maybe Corey Littleton. I still look at him as a linebacker one, but yeah, Kwiatkowski there. But I think. That's going to hurt Kwiatkowski a little bit more than, than Corey Littleton. All right, good stuff, Mike. Let's talk Dynasty in IDP leagues. Who are the top incoming defensive rookies for Dynasty leagues? This is a really good draft class. I, I really like a lot of the players that are coming out. Oh, it's a really deep class. Um, Let's go piece by piece. Let's start at the top. Who's the top guy for you? My top guy is probably, boy, and it's going to depend on your scoring system, but you have a 1A, I think, in Isaiah Simmons and 1B with Chase Young. Believe it or not, I did some background research on this leading up to the podcast, and everything I found about Simmons was pretty insane. Like I looked at his combine numbers over at playerprofiler.com, 4.3940 yard dash. That's 100th percentile. So basically, he's as bad as fast as a linebacker yeah. gets. His one point or his 128.2 speed score, also 100th percentile. His burst score, a little bit worse, 
132.3, 96th percentile. So yeah, Simmons is insane in terms of these workout metrics. And it sounds like he might even have some versatility to play a little bit defensive back or get into coverage a little bit more often than not. And does that mean that he's going to get dual eligibility? How does that typically work in IDP leagues, Mike? Typically works how he's drafted. So if he's drafted as a linebacker, typically he's going to get that linebacker designation. And yeah, his his workout metrics are, are off the charts. But as far as an IDP goes, I look at his, his production. Um, you know, he had a really solid tackle rate and that tackle production should translate over. I think he produced about a 12.4% tackle rate um, the, this year at Clemson. So his... His playmaking ability, I think, should have no problem translating over. But yeah, Simmons, if he plays in the box, he can play in the box. He can play some slot, but he should be uh, considered a linebacker. He'll probably be drafted as a linebacker. So that's probably what his position will be. Okay, fair enough. Now let's talk about Chase Young because from an NFL perspective, he's seen as pretty much a sure thing coming out of Ohio State. He's an edge rusher, defensive lineman. Does he profile more as one of those boom-bust edge rusher types you talked about earlier, or does he have a more well-rounded skill set? What's the deal with Chase Young? Definitely more well-rounded. You can almost make the argument that he might even be better than Nick Bosa, which is very scary to think about. High praise. Um, Produced an elite pressure rate with Ohio State, uh, high win rate on sacks. He, he's good against the run, and I think he's – I don't consider him boomer bust. I think he's someone that if you drafted as a defensive lineman, you're going to get pretty solid production throughout the uh, throughout the season. So I, I don't envision him having any trouble adjusting to the game. So do you think he can be a contributor in year one for IDP formats? Yes. Yeah, much in the same way that Nick Bosa did, Joey Bosa did it. It's almost like Ohio State is now becoming defensive line U. They're just producing very elite edge rushers. So who else do you like coming out of this rookie class? From the linebacker position, I really like uh, Kenneth Murray. 155 tackles as a sophomore, uh, 102 in his junior year. Um, So definitely that production should translate over. One guy I really am, have kind of fallen in love with is is Troy Dye from Oregon. Good in the run. He's got really good length. That definitely helps him in coverage. Uh, 199 tackles over the last two sne- over the last two seasons was relied on snap you know heavy snaps. So he has the uh, he can bulk up and he can take the he can take the playing. Uh, um, and I think he can handle the schedule. Akeem Davis Gaither is another one. 209 tackles. Uh, total over his junior and senior years, really good blitz uh, and coverage backer. So with those skills, that should get him on the field as a three-down linebacker. And then a couple of guys that are that are kind of making their way up, Jordan Brooks and Willie Gay, Willie Gay Jr. are uh, are two guys that are really kind of making their way up uh, uh, my rookie boards. Let's talk about the linebackers coming out of LSU, Kalevon Chason and Patrick Queen. It seems like Chason is being branded as someone who's more of an edge rusher, but who has some of that linebacker versatility, maybe one of those boom-bust types you talked about earlier, whereas Queen is a more traditional linebacker. He's blazing fast. I mentioned player profiler earlier. He had a 96 percentile 40 time. So who do you like out of these guys coming out of LSU? I do like Patrick Queen. He's he, he's kind of in that top two to three. With Chason, it kind of depends on where he's drafted and his position, like you said. He's being more profiled as that edge rusher defensive line um he still could get that linebacker designation but you know he's a guy that that 
is a look that is also well-rounded. He has the agility to play off the ball, but I think he is probably going to be played more um, as an edge rusher. But the guy I'm, I'm targeting from the two LSU linebackers is probably Patrick Queen, um, someone who does go after the tackles. I think he's going to have a little bit uh, a better production. But Jason, another solid guy, depending on your scoring system. He could be an every-down player, but he's he, he's up there. But I do like Queen a little bit more. Let's talk about some defensive linemen next, and I want to look at A.J. Epinesa coming out of Iowa. He's more of an, uh, an edge rusher defensive lineman. Uh, Yetter Gross Matos out of Penn State seems to be more of a run stopper type, even though he has that edge rusher profile. And then Derek Brown, who's a defensive tackle out of Auburn, who's who's huge, six foot five, three hundred twenty six pounds at the combine. Which of these three do you like the most? Is there one that stands out to you? Um, I've got. Esper, es, Espersa, a little bit higher. I also do like Julian Okarwa, um, and I also have Javon Kinlaw and Derek Brown um, a little bit higher. But, um, yeah, Espersa definitely has the tools to, to make an impact immediately. Cool. And one other defensive back I want to throw at you because I've seen him hyped up a little bit, another LSU player, Grant Delpit. It seems like there are some questions about his tackling ability, but he has the talent to be a good NFL player. Where do you stand on Delpit? As of right now, I got Delpit is is kind of that my two A. I like Xavier McKinney a little bit more, but Delpit's definitely one of those Swiss Army knife type of guys. He can play really anywhere. Almost, I'm not. I almost don't want to say Derwin James, but he can kind of play anywhere. He can play coverage. He can play up in the run. Yes, the the missed tackles. Um, are definitely an issue. He definitely needs to uh, uh, clean up that game. I think he's had 36 missed tackles over his, uh, you know, two seasons at LS, last two seasons at LSU, but really good ball hawking skills. And I think he's, uh, and his quickness. So I think that's definitely going to help him. Definitely just needs to get some of those fundamentals down when it comes to tackling. So we've talked about these guys as the top defensive rookies. Where do you actually expect them to slot into IDP rookie drafts where, once again, they're contending with non-defensive players? Like if you have the choice between a running back, a wide receiver, or a defensive player in the first round of your rookie draft, which direction are you going? Do these defensive players tend to go in the later rounds? And what does it take for one of them to, to crack that first round, in your opinion? I think in, to crack that first round they must be really desperate for a defensive player. I'm always going offensive player with my, with my first round pick, probably going second or third round for my first IDP when it, when it comes to a rookie draft. So cupboard must really be bare. If you're going to go defensive player with your first round pick, even maybe even early second. So if we're looking at these top guys, we talked about Isaiah Simmons out of Clemson and Chase Young out of Ohio state. These are two of the more consensus top guys in this class. Where do you expect them to go in most rookie IDP drafts? Someone like Isaiah Simmons is probably going to go in the second round. Um, I can see also Chase Young going in the second round. So I think those two guys are going to definitely go early. Um, if you miss out on Isaiah Simmons, I mean, you can get any one of those other rookies. Uh, Kenneth Murray probably in the, in the probably maybe, the, maybe the third round, um, maybe die in that third, fourth round. And I think someone like Jordan Brooks or even Willie Gay, you might be able to get a little bit later. Obviously, depending on scoring system and your and the knowledge of IDPs in your in your league. So kind of depends and you know take a look at what how your league mates have done in the past but yeah i think the you know your your simmonses and youngs are going to go early at the other guys i think you you can probably get in the third or fourth round as the uh offensive players 
uh, as those shelves kind of get a little bit more bare. So when these guys are actually drafted by NFL teams, the draft capital invested in them certainly is going to matter. But how much do you care about landing spot with these rookies? Are there certain teams that you would rather not see a, a player like Isaiah Simmons go to or, or even Patrick Queen go to uh, based upon you know, maybe depth of linebacker there or scheme from the coaching staff? How much does landing spot factor into your analysis with these guys? Oh, I mean, landing spot is huge. I can think back a, a few years ago, um, you know, just going back, there was a, a Zach Cunningham. He kind of was drafted by Houston when they had a few guys that were ahead of him. So a landing spot is, is huge. If Isaiah Simmons gets drafted by, you know, say the Giants, it's a good landing spot. He'll have to contend with tackles for, you know, he'll have to contend with uh, Blake Martinez for tackles, but he should be able to slot into a to an every down roll. Um so landing spot is huge, not necessarily maybe for defensive scheme, but like you said, if he lands in a team where he doesn't have much competition in front of him, that's going to be huge. So um, from the defensive line standpoint, same thing. If they get drafted and, and they go to maybe a 3-4 team where they have a shot to move from maybe a defensive line to a linebacker, that's also going to be huge. So, for example, if uh, if Washington hadn't changed their defensive scheme, from a 3-4 to a 4-3, I would have been really bummed with Chase Young being mocked to the Redskins because he's going to get that linebacker designation for the most part. But since they have made the switch, I'm really liking um, Chase Young if he does go to Washington. So, yes, landing spot is big, much like the offensive players. It's it's very key. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now, I think that's enough for the rookie IDP players. Let's circle one more time back to veteran players. And... Just give me a couple veteran IDP guys who you think overperformed in 2019 and could be considered traps in 2020 drafts. Well, I mentioned it before. I think Jordan Hicks is going to be a trap this season. Way, way overperformed last season. He's a good linebacker, but he was basically the only one getting tackles and the only one making plays. So Jordan Hicks is definitely going to be a trap this season. Devondre Campbell is, is going to come in and, and he is going to get take some of those tackle opportunity, you know, from from Jordan this year. Now, how about a veteran player who might have underperformed last season who you think might be primed for a bounce back? Does anyone stand out to you in that regard? I'm going back to Deion Jones. He was injured for, for most of the season last year. I have him as probably going to be a potential top five linebacker with with Devondre Campbell gone. Not really much. He's not really going to have many competition for uh, for tackles this season. Uh Neal will probably be back, so he's probably going to be his only other competition. But in terms of uh, linebackers, they're working with a very shallow pool there. They've got like Foisede, Olukawan, and then really that's who knows at that point. So I definitely like Deion Jones. Like I said, if you're playing in one of those leagues where a lot of your league mates are looking at last year's scoring, he's not going to be up there because he missed most of the season. So I definitely like Deion Jones as a nice bounce back candidate from injury. Awesome stuff, Mike. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me about all these defensive players. I've learned a lot. I'm sure the listeners have too. Before we shut things down, is there anything else related to IDP that you want to discuss? No, just uh, if if you have any questions, um, if you're dipping your toes in for the first time or maybe you've played for a couple of years and unsure on, on some of the, the nuances or have any other questions, I'm, I'm always available. As Greg mentioned before, my Twitter is at Mike underscore Woolert, W-O-E-L-L-E-R-T. Always happy to talk some IDP because, hey, 
we're not going anywhere for any time soon. So really working it from home and I got nothing but time these days. Awesome. Well, thanks again for coming on. Really appreciate it, Mike. Thanks a lot, Greg. I'm really glad to be on and thanks for having me. And that does it for this episode of the Most Accurate Podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Greg Sauce. If you have any feedback for the show, I'd love to hear it there. Or you can always leave a rating and review on iTunes. Those are much appreciated, those positive reviews. Head over to 444.com. Keep up with all the great articles that our writers are pumping out during the quarantine period. And if you like what you see on there, consider getting a subscription for the 2020 season. You'll get access to John Paulson's top-notch rankings, a bunch of other great tools for DFS, for seasonal, for uh, whatever you need. We got you covered over at 444.com. Otherwise, I'm going to kick it back to a best ball focus next week and probably the week after that, uh, leading up to the NFL draft. We don't know a whole lot about landing spots just yet, but that will come in time. And until then, we can try to hash out some draft strategy for the individual positions. Stay tuned for that. And until next time, thank you again for listening to the Most Accurate Podcast. Podcast.